0: This is an ABC podcast. What if our entire universe, including you and I, could be boiled down to one object, a vibrating string? Jock McCorrist has dedicated his life to trying to understand if this is true, with a little help from a piece of garden hose and some acrobatic ants. So could life including you and I, be boiled down to something as simple as a vibrating string. And you say, no, 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 life is complicated. And yet it is. So the Greeks were actually ahead of their time when they devised the concept of an atom. An atom meaning for them, indivisible. They thought everything could be boiled down to an atom. And what's amazing about this is they had no experiment. They had no way of scientifically checking if this was true. And yet it was, they were driven instead by the sense of beauty and simplicity. And so many thousand years later, we are still asking this question. And to a large extent, we can ask and answer the question, what are we all made up of? So I'm a human being. I'm made up of molecules. There are billions of molecules. They're talking to each other. They're bouncing off each other. They're interacting. They're experiencing forces. And you can ask the question then, well, what's a molecule made up of? Atoms. What are atoms made up of? We know protons, we know neutrons, we know electrons. We can keep asking, what are protons and neutrons made up of? Well, we now know they're made up of something simpler, something called a quark. So basically we've taken the complexity of a human being and we've boiled it down to a set of fundamental objects. Okay, a zoo of particles, I like to call it. And it's so simple, in fact, that I can write it down on one page. And furthermore, we know how they talk to each other, we know how they interact. I can write that down on a second page. And in fact, I can tell you quite simply now, there's four fundamental ways in which these things talk to each other. Gravity, that's the thing that keeps us rooted to the earth. Electromagnetism, so that's electricity and magnetism combined in some way. And then there's two more subtle forces, the strong force, nuclear force, and the weak nuclear force. So there's four fundamental forces and a of particle. So that's already an amazing achievement. And yet we know it's true. This has been scientifically verified to an accuracy that makes various things look embarrassing. And yet we can still ask the question, well, what are the quarks made up of? What are the electrons made up of? Can we do better? And at this point, we're actually beyond the realm of experimental data. So the Greeks, the ancient Greeks knew this. The Islamic empire from the fourth to eighth to the 14th century knew this. And the Europeans during the enlightenment knew that mathematics somehow for some beautiful mysterious reason seems to be the language of the universe. So instead of being guided by experiment, we're now guided by mathematics. Now, let me tell you, a wonderful conversation killer is to tell someone that you study mathematics. And (laughs) an even better one is to tell them you study physics. (laughs) But yet I'm here to tell you that it's not all bad. Like, there is absolute beauty within mathematics. And for a subject that's rooted in rigor and objectiveness, there's some idea that you can have a simple mathematical solution, and that's elegant, and that's somehow tied to the very human emotion of beauty. So within mathematics, there's beauty. And what's remarkable is the beautiful solutions, the elegant solutions, often turn out to be experimentally correct. History gives us lots of examples of this. So let me just give you two, and they have a theme of unification. James Maxwell was a 19th century scientist and mathematician. And so he realised that electricity and magnetism, things that you thought were different were actually the same thing. There were different ways of looking at one single force, the electromagnetic force. Albert Einstein was driven by a lust for simplicity and unity. He realised if you took space, forward, backward, left, right, up, down, and combined it with time, you ended up with an object called space time, and then wonderful things happened. Now you might think, oh, this is useful for nothing. This is just pure thought. Well, in fact, your phone's GPS system used Einstein's theory of space time. You could be listening to this podcast on the radio, in which case you're listening it through electromagnetic radiation. That's James Maxwell. So thinking about the fundamentals of the universe has useful byproducts, just perhaps centuries later. Coming back to our question, someone asking, what are we all made up of? We're really asking, is there a way to unify the zoo of particles that I talked about, and the four fundamental forces that I talked about. So that's the key question, and that's really where my research starts. And there is an answer to this, again, guided by mathematics, and it starts by thinking about a piece of string. So first you must say, well, what do I mean by a particle? I talked about a particle before. A particle is an object with zero volume. What does zero volume mean? It means it's something that takes up no space, which is physically absurd. Everything must take up space, surely. And in fact, gravity, the thing that keeps us rooted to the Earth, as a mathematical theory knows about this. It doesn't like objects with zero volume. So there's actually another problem, which is gravity does not like particles. So what do you do? You get rid of the particle and you replace it with a string. Now the string is small. The string is so small that from our human perspective, with our big fancy colliders, particle colliders, it's just so small it looks like a particle. And you could imagine, for example, you put out your garden hose in your backyard, you fly over it with an aeroplane, but you're so high up that when you look down that garden hose looks like a point. You just need a big enough pair of binoculars to be able to zoom in and see that that garden hose is actually not a point, it's, it's a garden hose. Okay, so the string is small. The string can do sensible things. It's like a guitar string, can vibrate. There's a well defined mathematical theory of this. It vibrates in harmonics. So if it's vibrating in C, it acts like an electron. If it's vibrating in G sharp, it acts like a quark. So just by having different harmonics, this single string can behave like very different particles in my zoology course of particles. And furthermore, strings can talk to each other. So you can have two strings. They can join together to form one string. You can have one string split apart. And in this way, they interact. And when you work all this out, you end up with the four fundamental forces, gravity, electromagnetism, and the strong and weak nuclear force. So by just thinking about the mathematical theory of a string, by somehow magic, you end up with this seal of particles and all the ways they interact. So that's already an amazing feat. But it's not so simple, although it starts with a simple idea, underlying it there's complexity and sophistication. For example, string theory predicts that the universe has six extra dimensions. We actually live in nine dimensions, which sounds pretty crazy. I can go left, right, up, down, forward, back. Where are the other six? And the answer to this most likely comes from a 19th century novel by E.E. E. Abbott called Flatland which was really a satire in Victorian society, but it actually seems to appear in string theory. And the idea is you're an ant living on a very thin piece of wire, like razor thin. So from the point of view of this ant, you can only go left or right. Now, one day a clever ant discovers, ah, actually this is not a very thin piece of wire, it's actually a cylinder. There's an extra direction. I can go left or right, or I could go around. There's an extra dimension. It's just curled up so tightly that all the ants beforehand couldn't see it. String theory predicts the same is true of our universe, that there are six extra dimensions, but they're just curled up so tightly we can't see them. But furthermore, the mathematics of this is very strong. They tell you that the six extra dimensions form what we call a geometry. They have a shape. And the geometry is very special. It's something called a Calabi-Yau manifold. Impressive. (laughs) (laughs) So Calabi is an Italian mathematician. Yao is a Chinese mathematician. And they, invented or discovered this geometry in the late 70s and early 80s. The equations of string theory, which starts from a very physical point of view, determine that there is some mathematical geometry called a Calabi-Yau manifold underlying our universe. So there's already a very nice mix of physics and mathematics here. And the circle completes because there is not just one example of a Calabi-Yau manifold, there's actually half a billion. And each different calabi manifold of this half a billion data set gives rise to different physics. The string behaves differently depending on whether it's in calabi manifold A or calabi manifold B. So this geometry is very closely tied to physics. And so this is what gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> out of these half a billion, they can't all be right. There aren't half a billion universes. We don't, we don't believe. And in fact, we've actually made good progress. You can eliminate most of these. Most of these give rise to completely unrealistic physics. So we throw them out and we can do better. We can find examples which do exceedingly well. They produce the physics of these silver of particles that I started with, the quarks, electrons, and so on and so forth, interacting in the right way. But there are bugs. It's not perfect what my job is, is to figure out some of these bugs. And I think these are not bugs that are actually features. If you uncover these problems and actually think about them carefully, lying beneath is going to be some wonderful things. So this all started from asking the question, is there a simplest object out of which we can build anything? And somehow the answer has led us down a beautiful road of mathematics and physics. And somehow it's Occam's razor that sometimes The answers to nature's most curliest questions can often be the simplest ones. Okay, thank you. Beauty in simplicity. That was mathematician Jock McCorrist from the School of Science and Technology at the University of New England. I'm Tegan Taylor. Join me again next week to squint at the world through a different scientific lens.